Please turn to Romans chapter 6. And let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, your word is truth and light and life. And I pray that as we examine it now, you'll be at work by your spirit, changing us, transforming us into the likeness of your son and bringing glory to your great name. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. It's great to see so many people in chapel today. Today and in our next two chapels on Tuesday, I want to take you to Romans chapters 6, 7, and 8, where Paul unpacks how the gospel radically changes our relationship to sin, to law, and to death. The threads are intertwined, but broadly speaking, chapter 6 speaks of our freedom from sin, chapter 7, freedom from law, and chapter 8, freedom from death. My hope and prayer is that as we spend time in these chapters, we'll have a bigger view of the gospel and the way that the gospel impacts our present life. You know that in chapters 1 to 4, Paul vividly portrays the way that God's wrath is revealed in handing over humanity to impurity and dishonorable passions and a debased mind. And the law is powerless to reverse that situation. It can't produce righteousness. It can only reveal sin. But through Christ's sacrifice for sins, all who trust him are justified freely by God's grace, apart from works of the law. And then in chapter 5, Paul compares and contrasts the impact of Adam's transgression and Christ's obedience. Whereas Adam's transgression ushered in a reign of sin and death, Christ's obedience has begun a new reign of grace through righteousness leading to eternal life. And the question Paul's addressing in chapter 6 is the believer's relationship to sin now that that's happened. Should we allow sin to continue to reign in our lives? so that God can show more grace? Are we bound to carry on sinning? Are we still enslaved? Should we just accept that as a fact of life? Does it actually matter if we sin, if we're living under grace and not under law? Those are the questions that Paul's addressing in this chapter. And I want to look at his answers under three headings. Firstly, don't sin because you've been set free from sin through Christ's death. Let me read verses 1 to 14. I'm going to read from the ESV. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. Can you see Paul's main point? In your baptism, you were joined to Christ in his death. And that death was a death to sin. It brought about a radical break with that old order where sin reigned. So, when you were baptized, you became a part of that. When you, you died and you were buried with Christ. I take it that Paul is assuming that baptism uh, is, as the Anglican articles put it, received rightly. I don't think this is automatic. Baptism doesn't automatically connect us to Christ. But it's the outward sign of the reality that occurs when we turn to him in repentance and faith. Baptism unites us to Christ's death in such a way that when he died to sin, we died with him. Just under a week, God willing, I'm going to become a citizen of Australia. I will, I will stand up in the town hall and pledge my loyalty under God to Australia and its people. And from that moment on, there's a sense in which Australia's history will be my history. I'll be able to look back at Australia's sporting victories and say, we won. <laughs> we, we won the Bledisloe Cup in 2002. <laughs> Just a shame that we haven't won it since then. But, <laughs> but as a Pom, of course, I know what it's like to to always lose, so um, that's okay. <laughs> but Paul says that, that in that event of baptism, we became united to Christ in his death so that his history is our history. And that death brought an end to our old life of slavery to sin. And the purpose in verse 4 is so that you might live a new life. Do you know that? Do you know that you are free from sin? Not free from sin in the way that my peanut butter tells me that it's free from cholesterol. <laughs> it says uh, 
cholesterol and gluten are not detected, not free from sin in that sense, but free in the way that a slave is free from a tyrannical master. Suppose by some misfortune you were to end up with a massive financial debt to a powerful crime lord. I don't know what kind of misfortune, (laughs) you know, um, but uh, perhaps it depends on your denomination. But, (laughs) But the crime lord offers you extra time to repay on the condition that you help him with some drug deals. And then he uses your crimes. Perhaps think of a friend or a, someone who isn't a friend, if this isn't a plausible scenario for you. But, <laughs> but imagine this crime lord uses your crimes to blackmail you, and you get dragged deeper and deeper into his world, and there's no escape. And then suppose an undercover police officer approaches you and offers to take you into witness protection and give you immunity from prosecution, a new life, and a new identity. But your crime boss is so powerful that the only way to to get free is to fake your death. And at great expense, the police agree to make it happen. That death sets you free. It gives you a new life. You have a new identity. You'd probably be grateful. But can you imagine thinking... Maybe I should go back to my old life of crime so that I have even more to be grateful for. Maybe I should put myself once again under the influence of that crime lord. That's kind of what that question in verse 1 is suggesting. Can you see how crazy that would be? The whole point of dying to your old life is so you can be free to live a new life. Brothers and sisters, we have been set free from sin through the death of Jesus. Not just from the penalty of sin, but also from its mastery over us. Now, we don't yet fully share in Jesus' resurrection life. It's interesting that all of the the reference to life of a future and commentators debate, is this a logical future or a temporal future? I think there's a bit of both. Because we're not yet fully raised with Christ. But all of the references to our death to sin are in the past tense. That's something that's happened decisively. Now Paul thinks it's it's possible to keep serving sin. If not, he wouldn't say things like verses 12 to 13. Let not sin reign to make you obey. Do not present your members to sin. It's not impossible to serve your old master. But it's inappropriate and it's unnecessary. Before I went into ministry, I used to work as a tax accountant. And if my old boss rang me up now and asked me to do some tax work, I could. But, you know, that would be a bit crazy. Fun though tax is. (laughs) I could say no. I couldn't say no when he was my boss. When he was my boss, I didn't have a choice. When he said, do this work, I would say, okay. But now I have a choice. I'm free to say no. And that's true for you and me in relation to sin. Sin is still going to beckon us, but we can say no. 
The old life will tempt us. There might be habits and addictions and character traits which are difficult to shake. There's, there's an ongoing struggle with sin, as we're going to see in a couple of weeks' time. But sin is no longer our master. We're free to live for God and not for sin. So in verse 11, Paul isn't saying, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God, even though in fact you're not. He's saying, take hold of that thing which is already true. So do you? Do you consider yourself dead to sin? Do you consider yourself free from the rule of sin? Do you believe this? When you're tempted whether it's the temptation to lie to cover your shame, whether it's the temptation to lust or pornography, whether it's a temptation to anger or pride, do you reckon that sin has such mastery over you that you can't help yourself, that you can't resist? When sin says, hey, why don't you do that thing one more time? Do you say, yes, boss? Or do you say no? Do you put your eyes or your mind or your mouth at the disposal of God rather than sin? You can resist and you must resist. You die to sin. Don't let it master you. Secondly, don't sin because you're now a slave of righteousness. So you're not only free from the mastery of sin, you're now a slave to a new master. Verses 15 to 19. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So the question in verse 15 is slightly different from the question in verse 1. Is grace a license to sin? Sure, we've died to our old life. Okay, let's not go back to that old life. But perhaps sin is compatible with the new life. After all, God is gracious. And Paul's answer is no. Your initial commitment to righteousness creates an ongoing commitment. When we turned to Christ, we weren't just released from slavery to sin we also took on a new master. We presented ourselves as slaves to righteousness. And Paul says we need to keep doing that. So staying with the job illustration, because slave master, it's kind of similar. Um, If you leave your old job and you sign a contract with a new employer, you're, you're committing to work for that employer. What do you think your employer would say if instead of showing up for work, you carried on working for your old employer? My old tax boss did ring me up, and I decided to sneak into the offices at Ernst & Young and do a few tax returns. You know, Mark probably wouldn't be very happy with me. <laughs> you need to keep presenting yourself to your new boss. You need to keep showing up. It's just as crazy for us to, to serve sin when we now belong to another master. 
And maybe some of us need reminding of this. Perhaps when we started the Christian life, there was a hatred of sin and a zeal for righteousness. But maybe as time has gone on, we've started to presume on God's grace. Brothers and sisters, keep presenting your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. It's really easy to slip into old ways without thinking we can just get into autopilot. Uh, A friend of mine told me that one morning, a friend of his, this is an actual friend of a friend, honestly, um, (laughs) this friend was in autopilot mode and he actually drove to his old workplace, forgetting that he'd changed jobs. Um, Do you ever find yourself doing that with your old master sin? You kind of just forget that you don't belong to sin anymore. Well, I reckon if I kept accidentally showing up for my old job, I'd probably write some reminders to myself, maybe you know, some sticky notes, maybe I'd get my friends to, to phone me up in the morning and say, hey, you're going to go work for more college today, aren't you? You're not going to go back to AMY. <laughs> maybe I'd even cancel my subscription to the tax journal if it puts my mind onto my old job. We've got to think about how we can not make accommodation for sin and how we can keep reminding ourselves, keep reckoning ourselves, not only dead to sin, but also alive to God. Thirdly, don't sin because it pays badly. Verse 20, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Serving sin leads to death. Serving God leads to eternal life. Notice that death is the wages of sin, but eternal life is the gift of God. It's not something that we earn. But to get it, we have to serve God. We can't serve sin and think that we'll receive the gift of eternal life. Again, we'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks' time. Becoming a Christian isn't about giving up your freedom. It's about swapping a tyrannical master like that crime lord in my illustration who just wants to use you and to bring about your destruction, swapping a tyrannical master for a gracious one, one who gifts you the precious gift of eternal life. Don't you want to serve that master? So don't sin. Because you've been set free from sin through the death of Christ. Don't sin because you've become a slave of righteousness when you turn to him. Don't sin because it pays badly. You died to the old life. Live the new life. Let's pray that we would do that. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you Christ. We praise you for the justification we have in him and all that follows, reconciliation, peace, grace, hope, 
and freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from law, freedom from death. Father, please help us daily to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to you. Please forgive us when we don't do that. Please help us to keep fighting. Help us to encourage one another. But we praise you for that gift of eternal life that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Friends, let's celebrate.